Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to what? Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Leave that up for a moment. Some years ago, I remember a young man who was a part of our fellowship. On Saturdays, the men get together, and there was this one day we were down here at the altar. We had come from upstairs. We came down, and we were praying. We were crying out to God. And he said something that I still remember. That might have been 15 or 20 years ago. He said, you know, before I came to the Lord, my life was better. It was clear he regretted it. He said, you know, I had money, my bills were paid. He said, now I'm struggling. And in the moment, I didn't understand as I do now that he had not experienced true repentance because worldly sorrow leads to spiritual death because it keeps us from true repentance. Now, this young person had regrets because of the life that he had. But in that life, he was selling drugs, he had guns, he was gangbanging, and he regretted that because he's trying to now do things the right way and he didn't know how because he had lived a life of crime. So now he's trying to do right, but he's trying to do right on his own. And he's around godly people, but he himself has not experienced the, the fruit of true repentance. So he regretted it, and he went back. I don't know what he's doing, but I just I know he's not here anymore. If I knew then what I knew now, I would have ministered to that young man differently. But as I was preparing for this, that came to me that if there was true repentance, there wouldn't be regret of worldly things. I was recently at a funeral that was in an auditorium. Good number of people and a friend of mine did the service and he made the altar call and lots of people, lots of people came forward. They raised their hands, they prayed the prayer, they stood, I was like, wow, this is powerful. But there was just something in my spirit that wasn't leaping. Like there was, it wasn't something leaping in my spirit. Although I saw all those individuals. And as we got out in the parking lot, I saw why. Because everything that they did before they came in, the language they spoke, the things they puffed on, all that happened in the parking lot. And what was clear to me is, the fruit of repentance is a changed life. Something is going, you can't be in Christ and be the same. If anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. The reason my family know that I changed, because you're not, you are different. There were a lot of people who were saved, but they would say things like, you're really saved. I, what do you mean really saved? You're only saved or you're not. Well, because they didn't see an evidence of a change. You still fly off the hang, handle. You can cuss better than a sailor. And it's not like every now and then. It's like, no, it's your nomenclature. Something has to change. You still do everything that you did that's not the fruit of repentance. Now, that doesn't mean you get to re perfection the next day, but there's something about the conviction that comes with repentance, that with godly sorrow, that makes you want to please God. So you do your best. And when you stumble, you are sorry, not regretting where you came from. You don't look back. 
it is not, it's a shame because God has no shadow of turning in him. And the Bible says he has no pleasure of the soul that turns back. Am I right about it? Is there anybody else who read that in the scripture? So we're, taught, we're, we're trying to lay a foundation for repentance. Let's go to Luke 10. These are all foundational things. Luke 10, 18, and 20. Remember last week I put a picture up of someone who was a, publicly a devil, a Satan worshiper. And they put up a scripture. You remember what it was? Luke 10 and 18. I got that one right, right? Luke 10 and 18. Without looking. Okay. Now, I, that was the only verse he had on the Nike sneakers. You remember? So I want to show you something that people, some people are willfully ignorant. Peter says some people can't stop, and he used adultery in this case, having eyes full of adultery, for they are willfully ignorant. Willful ignorance keeps you from repentance because now that's your self-will. Like you don't want to respond to the truth of the gospel, so you, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's one of the it's a two-edged sword having free will. Luke 10 and 18 says, And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Who was Jesus talking to? He was talking to the 72. There were new converts who he sent out. And because they went out in obedience, something happens. Every time we obey the voice of the Lord, we experience something in our life that causes us to get excited. Have you been excited lately about something Jesus has done? You ought to be excited because every time you obey him, you'll be excited. You know, yeah, I talked about going up to see my, my friend in the hospital. I was exhausted and I almost talked myself out of not doing it. Talked myself out, it's like, you tired, you deserve this. There's so many things that are going on. You can rationalize anything. But God kept pushing, and, and I said, you know what, I have to go. The sun was shining bright. What am I going to do, take a nap in the middle of the day? Oh, somebody said, yeah, I do that. <laughs> I didn't know that. I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> but it's, so I pressed, and I went. And I was so energized just by the ministry of presence and having an opportunity to pray. And a person I know, that I don't know if they ever prayed in their life. If they ever prayed in their life. And let me tell you what I thought about. The Spirit of God is saying, this is important to say. My first thought as a pastor was, I need to lead him to salvation. And the Lord said, what does he need? And he started to put pictures in my head about Jesus and when he would go about doing good and healing people. There was never any, he just met their need. We don't know if they were heathens or saved. It doesn't matter. And then I realized, okay, that doesn't matter. Right now, just meet the need. Because Reverend Drew, if I meet the need, he's gonna be open. And part of what I prayed was, God, show him your power. I called his name as though he was a son of God. I said, show him your power, raise him up, and let him know that it's you so that he can speak of your goodness. He can speak of your power. That's the prayer that God put in my mouth. You know he heard that, but I never said anything about him to make him feel like he was outside the realm of God touching him. God can touch anybody. God took a harlot named Rahab and put her in the bloodline of Jesus. God can touch anybody. There's nothing that God can't do because when he touches you, you're changed. It was not lawful, sis, for anybody to touch one who's a leper, much less the Lamb of God who was spotless. But when a leper came to him and asked him to heal, Jesus touched him. If Jesus can touch a leper, he can touch me. And the reason he did it, because the minute he touched him, he was clean. 
See, he was no longer a leper because one touch from him, he changes what you are. And you can say, that's what I was, but that's not what I am. I was blind, but now I see. I was a leper, but now I'm clean. I can go to the priest, the priest who's afraid to touch me. I can go to the priest and say, I met this man named Jesus. He told me to come to you. Look at me, diagnose me. Do you see any spots? When you get a touch from Jesus, it changes everything. Just one touch. One touch. This one verse is on that Nike sneaker. And for those who willfully choose to glorify Satan, this is what they hang their head on. But listen to the next couple of verses. This is for us. Behold, meaning look, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. That's the demonic symbols, serpents and scorpions, and over all, how much? All the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Nevertheless, this is important. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Leave that for a minute. Jesus wants to, to, touch, to touch us in such a way that we never lose focus. He said, if you, if you get caught up in the fact that the spirits are subject to you, you're gonna think more of yourself than you ought to. He said, I gave you this power. You know you didn't know what you were doing when I sent you out. You were apprehensive, now you're coming back. And you're like, the demons tremble at your name. Yes, my name, not your name. He said, don't worry about that. But I did something much more significant, much more lasting. And isn't it interesting in Matthew 25, the people who go to Jesus and say, I prophesied in your name. I cast out devils in your name. He said, I never knew you because they lost sight of the intimacy of the relationship and they got caught up in something they were given as though they possessed it. That's called pride. And guess why the, Satan fell like lightning? lightning? Because of pride. So Jesus said, don't rejoice because you have power over the fallen. He said, rejoice because I picked you up. See, the devil and the demons that came, a third of the angels who came with them, they have all fallen. But we have all been picked up. He said, rejoice because of that. But he says specifically, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's an everlasting habitation, Sister Mary. There's something that he did. And you know, to really understand what Jesus is saying, we have to go to Revelations 2 and 17. Let's go there real quick. I want to make one point and then we'll move on. This is still foundational stuff. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's talking to the churches, the seven churches, complete. All of us who are part of the ecclesia. If you have an ear, hear this. To him who overcomes, he's given something else. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on that stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Here's what, what I want to tell you that I see in this text, when I put it together with what he said to the 72, and he encouraged them, don't rejoice because you have power over demons. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. And as I meditated on this text, I realized I don't even know the name that God has given me. I answer to Bob Oliver which some would say is a government name. But there's a name in heaven. He said, you won't even know it till I, till I give you that white stone. 
and it's going to be so intimate, only the person who gets it is going to know it. And then I began to sing all by myself, he knows my name. He knows my name. I sang it with different meaning. He knows my name, Deacon John. I don't even know what song, because I haven't seen the white stone. He's saying, I got something for you in eternity. It's waiting for you, and it's only for you. There are a lot of bobs. There are a lot of Olivers, but this stone is going to be like your, your fingerprint. It's unique only to you. Can you see that? He's saying rejoice because your name is written in heaven. I got something for you that is for nobody else. You're going to realize how unique and how special you are. We have an identifier that's just for us. Even twins that are identical in appearance, their fingerprints are different. That's God saying, I have every one of you are unique. Eight billion people are alive. Every one of them are unique. But there's so much overlap in our names because our capacity is limited. But God, everyone whose name is written in the book has a name that they don't even know. So I'm walking around, I don't even know who I am. He knows more about me than I know about myself. He knows my name. I know what I answer to, but he knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. He knows my name. He knows your name. He's got a new name for you. There's a white stone that has a name written that nobody knows. He said, rejoice because your name is written in heaven. It's in a book that nobody could open except the Lamb. That's top secret. This, this classified information will never get out. It's top secret because nobody could open the book and loose the seal. It looked hopeless. But the Lamb of God, he did some stuff for us that nobody could do. If we understood the depth of it, we would never turn our back on him. He knows my name. And God began to speak to me in the quiet of my, of my room. I almost said my closet. My closet, because I want to sound spiritual. I wasn't in no closet. I was in a room in the quiet of my room. And he said, you know, there was a time when the fear of God was so prevalent that people had their hopes on things eternal. But he said, even my people are so focused on the here and now that they rejoice over soulish things. They rejoice over things they feel versus rejoicing over what they know. They know that the, their name is in heaven. If they would only focus on that, that would give them everlasting rejoicing. Nothing, they wouldn't have ups and downs because they know I have an eternal habitation. They would be steady. They would be steadfast. They would be unmovable. They would be always abounding in the work of the Lord. It means it's more and more. I want to abound. I don't want to flatline. I don't want to plateau. I want to abound. I want to be always abounding. God, I want more of you. God, I need more of you. I want to hear you better. I want to see you more clearly. I want to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that my labor in him shall never be in vain. I don't want to be like the young man who had regrets, who'd rather go back to gangbanging than staying with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. The best thing that I've ever done. Is there anybody in here who's a witness that there's nothing better that we can do than fall in love with Jesus? There's nobody like him. Nobody can love me better. Nobody can make me feel better. Nobody can do me like Jesus. No, not one. Not one. He is the source of life. He's the beginning of life. And when my life comes to an end, he'll be right there. He'll be right there. I hope he comes with a stone in his hand. When I see that white stone, 
I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice knowing that it's well done. It's well done. I want to do it well now so he can say well done later. You want to do it well now so you can hear well done later. Lord, we love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're all that. There's nobody greater than you. There's nothing that we desire more than you. Nothing that we desire can come close to you. Nothing compares to you. Nothing compares to you. God, if we could write you a love song, we would sing it all day. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. There's nobody who can do you like him. Nobody can do you like him. Nobody. He's given us power over all the power of the enemy. We can say, get back. We can push the devil off our children. We can push the devil off our marriage. We can push the devil off that unruly boss. God is able. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. God wants to bring us back. He's, he made it clear to me, son, I need you to equip the body of Christ. I need you to equip my people because the time is coming. There are some people who listen to the news and are afraid of this nuclear Armageddon. It's, it's concerning. But I've read Zechariah 14. And when I read that, I know that the day is inevitable. But I also heard the Lord say, rejoice, because your name is written in heaven. He said, nothing, nothing by any means shall hurt you. They're giving iodine tablets in Russia giving their citizens hope and iodine tablets. If their leader does what he's saying, ain't no iodine tablet gonna help you. He gonna be in a bunker. Have the tablets with him, still sealed up. But those who wait on the Lord, we renew our strength. We're not worrying about nothing. We start singing, I've got a new name over in Zion. And it's mine, it's mine, all mine. Then we break out in Zion is calling us to a higher place of praise. Zion is calling me. I don't have time for the news because Zion is calling. I got to pick up this phone. Zion is calling us to a higher place of praise. To stand on the mountain and to magnify his name. Tell all the people in every nation that he reigns. Zion is calling us to a higher place of praise. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If my hermeneutics professor was here, he would give me an F. But Jesus will give me an A. Because it's not about lining up everything. It's not about homiletics every week. It's about just letting the Spirit of God say what he wants to say to who he wants to say it to. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you that God wants to do something great among his people. He just wants us to have our hearts joined with his heart and for our focus to be on him. Because when that happens, we settle down. We settle down. We settle down. And we can truly be anxious for nothing. Because in everything, with thanksgiving and with prayer and supplication, we make our requests known to him. And then what happens? The peace of God that passes all understanding, that peace that doesn't make sense, People see your circumstance and say, why are they not losing their mind? Because the peace of God keeps my heart and mind. The peace of God is a keeper. His peace is a keeper.
You want to be kept? Get the peace of God. The peace of God will keep your heart and mind. When stuff seems the walls are caving in, when the world around you is crumbling, when it feels like every piece of ground I stand on is shaky ground, he will enlarge your feet. David said, when my steps slide, he enlarges my feet. In other words, when I get off balance, he'll balance me. Those of you who have young children, you know when you're carrying, you, you have uh, Tim Jr.'s hand, and he's trying to go too fast, and he, he's stumbling? When you hold his hand, he won't fall. You keep him up. That's how I walk with God. I walk with him. Even though it looks like I have perfect balance, the reason I don't stumble is because my father is holding my hand. When I get into a place where I, I see something that's unlevel and I would stumble on my own, he holds my hand. He keeps me up. Is he holding your hand? He's holding us up. The Lord holds us up. And we owe everything to him. What do we have that we have not received? Normally we think about that naturally, but it's all Jesus makes us think about that spiritually because he said to them, I give you. And then in Revelations, again, he says, I give you. He keeps on giving, Deke. He's always giving. And when we receive, we have to remember that it's from him. It's from him. When my kids were younger and my wife and I would give them money, when our birthdays come, when, our, uh, when Christmas comes, we were so happy they would get us a gift. But where did the resources come for them to get the gift? We still appreciated it because they could have went and bought something else and consumed it on themselves. We were happy. How much more is God happy when he gives something to his children and we give it back to him? He knows everything you have comes from me, but the fact that you thought enough to think about me and not just consume it on yourself, that pleases me. We please God when we use his gifts and everything he's given us and we give it back. On times when you're like me, yesterday you're tired and you want to rationalize because you can rationalize anything. I think I've rationalized just about everything there is to rationalize in my own life. But I pray that you would be so sensitive to God that you would press because you want to please him because you realize that the fact that I'm able to even go is because of you. I could go home and lay down and call myself taking a nap and sleep an eternal sleep. But God, you are the one who gave my, me this breath. I'm going to use it to go and bless somebody else. Sometimes all it requires is the ministry of presence. We don't, we're not always sent to preach. We're not always sent to, to, to teach. Sometimes we just, need, we just need to be present. And the faith that's in us is released as soon as we walk in the room. All you have to do is show up. Somebody say, show up. Because if you show up, God will show out. These 72 were excited about what God had done. This had never happened in their lives. That's why they were so excited. He like, settle down. Don't rejoice over this because this is temporary. Rejoice over what's eternal. I just want to say, Oh, they're kind. They gave me more time. <laughs> I, was, I was about to wrap this up, but they said, okay, he done went to another place. Let me, let me at least get to something that has to do with repentance. Some of these things were tangentially connected, but now let's go right into it. And I promise I won't take long. I'm going to give you a few questions for Tuesday. Is that all right? Am I doing all right or was I out of bounds? 
All right. That's good. I can hear people ring them. Let the Lord use you. That's good. I'm in the right church. Luke 15, 1 and 3. I want to remind you of who's, who Jesus' audience was. And then I want to say a few things just to help us to rightly divide this word, and then we'll close. Because it's a series, I'm going to keep coming back to it. But in Luke 15, 1 through 3, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, So who is them? Write that. I know that's not good English, but that's all you're going to get for right now. Who is them in the text? And then I want you to fill in the blank in the notes. So there are sinners. That's obvious, right? And there are those who perceive themselves to be righteous. In order to rightly divide the truth in this text, we should see one parable. There were three. We, we haven't gotten to the third, but I just want to say, the first parable was the parable of the lost sheep. Remember that? Jesus said, which one of you, having left one, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one until he, you keep searching until you find it. Then you lay it on your shoulder, and then you, you say, rejoice. You bring your friends together and you rejoice. I want you to know, I want to give you a clue. The rejoicing that you see in all three parables is Jesus communicating what it's going to be like at the marriage supper, the feast of the Lamb. He often said to his Jewish contemporaries, there are going to be people from the east, the west, the north, and the south who are going to come to the feast, and you yourselves won't get in. He was trying to provoke them to jealousy, to get them to see this feast is for you, and you're not even going to do what it takes to get in because repentance is required. But because they saw themselves as right, as upright, they didn't see any need for repentance. They were still following Moses, and Jesus said, no, no, no. Moses, didn't Moses write of me? You read this. I'm the one who Moses was talking about. He said, God going to raise up one like unto me. Hear him. I'm him. Before Abraham was, I am. He said, you want to kill me for telling you the truth? I'm going to still tell you the truth. Because if, if I don't tell you the truth, I'll be a liar just like you. It's like, wow, Jesus, you said that to their face? I love them enough to tell them the truth. So the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. The second one, the parable of the lost coin. And then the third one, the parable of the lost son. And we'll get to that when I come back because it's a mystery. The parable is about two sons. Why is it called the parable of the lost son? It was about two sons. Just think about that. Selah. We'll, we'll dig into that. So what are the patterns that you see in the text? One that's obvious, the focus is on that which is lost, right? Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost son. What was Jesus trying to communicate to his audience? It's important that we pick up what Jesus is putting down. He's such a master teacher that it's, there are things that are in there. If you don't look carefully, you can miss it. That's why the word of God is not just to be read, it's to be studied. That's how you show yourself approved. And that's how you do what? Rightly divide the word of truth. So many people are shipwrecked, shipwrecked because they read the word like they read a novel, but they don't study it because there are the depths and the riches and the breadth of the manifold riches of Christ are unsearchable. We could search our whole lives and we wouldn't exhaust it. There was this scientist once who studied one cell. He had a career like a world-renowned science scientist, very published. He studied one human cell for 32 years. 
And at the end of his research, his conclusion was, I have not exhausted it. It's inexhaustible. How many cells are in the human body? It's billions. How many billions? Somebody Google it real quick right now. There was a time I would be upset. I'm like, why they got their phones out? Now, if you don't have your phones, I'll be upset. It's like, y'all not doing IG Live? You're not doing... It's like, it's how things change. How many cells in the human body? He took 32 years, world-renowned science, could not exhaust one cell. 37.2 trillion. Now think about this. When David said you are fearfully and marvelously made, one cell is inexhaustible. There are 37.2 trillion in your human body. Even in Precious's little body, she's not fully developed, but in her mother's womb, God was putting those cells. Nadia, you would not have thought that two times he put 37.2 trillion cells in you. Times two, imagine, and we get to be carriers of that. I'm saying we, I never carried, but you, you know, I got a little carried away there. All the women saying, what in the world are you talking about? You ain't carried nothing with your big head. <laughs> That's what my mother would always say, boy, you know your head, what your head was like? I will, I'm getting off track. <laughs> One cell is inexhaustible. 37.2, before people were saying billions, trillions. If our bodies are like that, how great is the creator of those, that body? That's why we can't just read his word. We have to study it. How great thou art. And see, when we just pick up little facts like that, it's like, my God, General Motors, Tesla, they can't do that. And our heartbeat throughout our lives and, and the things that it does, it, it transports oxygen in our lungs and our kidneys and all those work together. Just like the moon and the stars, the sun will rise in the east every day. I don't care if it's cloudy, the sun has risen up. The clouds are just blocking it. God spoke it once and it happens until he says stop. The earth is 75% water, but God said this is the boundary. You shall not cross over it. How great is God when we understand the power of his word? Who wouldn't follow him? Who wouldn't follow him? So the pattern so far is, is focused on things that are lost. Can you see that? It's in the title of each of them. And then when the lost are found, a pattern of repentance emerges, which causes a response in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. Jesus describes what happens on earth when the woman finds the coin and when the man finds his sheep, that they call people together for rejoicing. He also describes in both of those what happens in heaven. There's more rejoicing in heaven for one sinner who repents than for 99 just persons who need not repentance. Who are the just persons? The ones whom he has justified. So if I'm justified by him, I walk in humility because I owe my life to him. Because if he didn't justify me, I would be like the fallen. Now let's, let's conclude with this. When Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning, he was describing the moment of the fall. That's before heaven, that's before earth was even created. He fell and he came, he was in a void. God created the earth and the serpent inhabited the earth. The angels who fell with him, I don't, we don't know how to calculate the number of angels, that's not in, it's not in scripture, but what we do know 
is a third part can, fell, followed Lucifer. And there are people who are separated from the womb who follow Lucifer. They have a choice. Angels are created beings and so are people. The difference between us and angels is that we've been redeemed. There's redemption for us. The sad thing is so many people don't take advantage of redemption. So everyone after Adam and Eve were deceived, every one of us came from our original parents. That means in them, we had all fallen. The number of fallen angels remained constant because I don't know anywhere in scripture where there is reproduction of angels. And you know, I often wonder, I, I have these conversations with God that you might think make no sense, but I'm gonna let you in on one. It's like, God, what would it have been like if Adam and Eve didn't sin? Would you create us all with your hand? Because you know we come from the womb as punishment to the woman, right? He said, you're gonna, your desire is going to be to your husband, and in labor, you're going to bear children. What if they would have never sinned? Well, we all have come directly from God. So one of the reasons for that question for you is not to let you inside of my my head, which I'm sure you don't want to be, but what I want to do is get you to think about the fact that God's plan for creation was altered on that day. And on that day, even though the promise that God made to Adam and Eve is in the day that you do this, you shall surely die. And the serpent said, has God said, it's always been about the word of God, has God said, he knows you're going to be like him. And they tasted. They could have anything in the garden except that one thing. And then that's what they wanted. I'm like, God, what, is there a parenting lesson in this? So should I tell my kids what I don't want them to have that they could have and what I do, don't do that, and they'll go after that? It's like, no, <laughs> it don't work like that. But I thought about it, but not long. <laughs> so from that day, humanity had fallen. Satan fell like lightning, humanity fallen. Those 72 were recipients of Jesus saying, I picked you up, but I picked you up for the purpose that I created you, to live forever. I want you to rejoice in that, that you've been restored, you've been reconciled, you've been redeemed. In order for me to receive that, repentance is required. That means I came into the world as a fallen being. So God is over here. I come in the world facing this way. God is behind my back. On the day that I meet the Lord Jesus, I turn to God. Godly sorrow causes me to turn to him. I'm sorry for all that stuff that I did when I didn't know you. And now, I come every day, I come closer to him. And he's bidding me to come. He's bidding me to come and I keep walking. What happens if I'm coming closer to him and then I decide, I kind of regret this, this thing is hard. I'm going back this way because they're having fun. I hear the noise, I see. Every time I look at an image on social media, it just looks like they're having so much fun. I want this. What state am I in? Come on, back. My back is to them. I'm, I've backslidden. Is there hope for me? What do I need to do? Turn again. I got more distance to travel, but he's, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there, I'm starting to come again. This time, I might run faster. I might run faster, but I'm still coming towards him. That's the posture you wanna do. But every one of us is born, God is over here, we're here. It's nothing you've done. You could be a nice person, everybody likes you. 
that's not enough to redeem our lives from destruction because we're fallen. But he came to pick us up. He came to restore us. He came to reconcile us to God. He came to redeem us. And what the reason the devil is working in people like Lil Nas X and others is because there's no redemption for him. He fell and he remains fallen. It's already over for him, but it's not over for us. It's not over for us. And he says to them, I want you to rejoice over this thing. The, the thing that you rejoice over is that your name is written in heaven because your back was turned the wrong way. And now you are children of God. There's rejoicing in heaven because of the decision you made. And it's amazing to me with the sacrifice that was made for me to live and for you to live that life sometimes deceives us to the point where we turn our back on the giver of life and move towards, because there's only two, there's two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world that the devil rules, Jesus came to say, nope, I'm coming to take that back. Heaven, they cleansed. They threw all those fallen, they, they threw them out. That's what made them fallen. For humanity, God had a plan right away. His, the heel of his son was bruised and the head of the enemy was bruised. I ain't gonna let no bruised head devil turn me away from my God. And that's why repentance yields great fruit. The fruit is everlasting. It's unperishable. It's not like the produce that you buy, you leave it in, out in the air, it perishes. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. But what shall they have? I can't wait to pick up this series when I come back. We're going to go deeper. And then on Tuesday night, we're going to dig into some of this stuff a little deeper. Some of the stuff that we said the last two weeks and up until today. And I'll do a little bit of setting us up for the future. I want it to be unveiled at the right time. But right now, every eye closed, every head bowed. And for those of you on the live stream, right where you are, you would join with us in prayer. Father, I thank you for teaching us that you know us better than we know ourselves. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that you are our maker. You are the creator of everything. You traded your life for my life, for our lives. And what a tragedy. How much does it break your heart that those who you've died for don't receive what you give freely? There's no cost to them. You paid the ultimate price for those of us who've been bought with a price and we know it. May we never forget it. For those who turn, turn them back. You're married to the backslider. You're married to them. If you touched a leper, if you sanctified Rahab enough to be in the bloodline of the Messiah, if you call murderers and liars into the ministry, as is documented in the scripture, how much more can you save to the utmost those who call upon God by Jesus Christ? God, there are many who are confused. They're confused because of all the messages and images in the world. 
and because all doctrine is not sound, bring us to a place where we're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind and every doctrine. But today I beseech you, according to the multitude of your mercy, that you would draw somebody near to the cross. Work on their heart right now and yield the fruits of repentance with godly sorrow. The repentance that does not need to be regretted and for the rest of their lives, let them know that they will never walk alone through every mountain and every valley through every peak and every trough every up and every down you'll be right there with them save deliver call them only you can do that no one can come to Jesus except the Father draw them so we ask you to draw we ask you to draw them today because life is precious. Do your strange work. And now say in your hearts, if you're ready to turn to God, Lord, I repent today. I'm sorry for the days that I went about doing life on my own. I've done the best that I could, and I realize now that I need you. I can't do life without you, because you are the source of life. Come into my life. Make my life your life. And may your life be the life that I live. Today, I turn to you. And I turn away and renounce the works of darkness. May darkness never consume me again. I want to walk in your marvelous light. Receive me unto yourself. Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church/giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.